0: Last week, the, the event happened probably where you were, just as it did where I was. There was a number of gifts with wrapping paper strewn everywhere all around them. There were moments of uh, you being extremely full, even past full. And um, where I was... I took just a second and I, I was I was in the corner as I normally try to be out of the out of the focus, and I was looking at one of my family members um, and I, I just started thinking in this year it was the first year that she had been without her mother it's my aunt she had been without her mother, who she lived with the whole year, almost two years since we buried my grandmother but But the whole year passed, and and I was just looking at her, and I was thinking about her, I was thinking about my mom, I was thinking about their two um, brothers, my uncles, and I was thinking, wow, what a year. And I thought about the passage that I am going to preach and we're going to look at for the next four or five weeks in Jeremiah chapter 29. And as I looked at my aunt. And the thoughts were running through my head. This came to mind. Have you ever gone through depression? We live in the West. Especially us men, we don't like to admit when that word hits us. But have you ever gone through depressions? Have you, have you ever been depressed? I don't mean that, that you lost a, a job bit or even that you lost a job, you lost a pet, you, you lost a loved one. Those are all symptoms of depression. But that's not depression. Have you ever found yourself in the state of depression, all of those things that I stated, and ten thousand others, others like divorce, students you fell a class, demotion at work, winter. I I served on on staff once, and uh, one of the uh, staff members, um, her husband, every time winter came, he worked nights. Every time winter came. He just got depressed for like two and a half, three months. And it was all because he never saw the sun. Never saw it. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's health, uh, relationship, you're fighting, or even a lack of relationship. All of those might be symptoms or even triggers for depression. And as I read uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to read... The first few verses this morning, but as I read those verses, I was brought to the realization, was reminded, fresh and anew, that depression is real. It's something that millions of Americans, millions and millions of people, that they deal with it, it might even be, and I would say oftentimes, it goes under the surface and not even noticed. The passage that we're going to focus on, Jeremiah chapter 29, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to this passage. It is not 2018 yet, it's a few more hours before that comes about in Mississippi, but this is the passage that we will look at through the month of January as we look at vision and a a focus on our father and a focus on our city. Jeremiah chapter 29, the first 14 verses read as following. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassa, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it said, now listen to these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have your sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Here's verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, in the city's welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, whom uh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, I pray that God, as we read this, Lord, as we take just a few moments and we think about just an overarching thoughts on this passage, God, may we, may we get it right, may we, may we truly do it justice to understand as much as we can, Father, as much as we can, what's going on. In Jeremiah chapter 29. And God, in the coming days, the coming weeks, as we we pick out different pieces of this passage, of this letter that you sent to your people. God, may it drive deep into our hearts, your people here at River Bean. May we hold fast to your promise. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful to to stand on your word. You have breathed this passage. Father, for this body, I pray that we would understand it and live it out in the day that we live. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 29 a verse that... That most of us look at, most of us being pastors, that we look at and church people look at and when they think of vision. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, here's what Solomon stated uh, about this verse. And I'm gonna read it in the ESV, and then I'm gonna read it for us in the King James Version because I like the King James Version. How, he, how they put the words. But here is the ESV. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people, they cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And then the King James states it, states it, states it this way. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, he who keeps the law, happy is he. Where there's no vision, where there's no prophetic vision, where God has not spoken into a a life, people go every different direction. But Solomon says, "If, if you and I would just understand and we would take this word, we would live our days, our moments, our months and our years by this, the law his law, his word, oh, there's direction. And you and I will be happy. Not happy in a situational statement, but happy in our lives. I told you it's not 2018 yet, but let's start a new practice. At our house, we got a Something new like every two weeks because after a day we forget about it and so we come up with something new like two weeks later. Might happen in your house, hopefully it doesn't, but it does in ours. And so, you're like, what in the world is this guy about to do? On the screen, you are going to see Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. This is our verse. For the whole of the series and I want us to get a jump on memorizing this verse by the end of January so you now have 31 days 31 days and you're getting a jump on it so this is the 32nd but here's the verse and we're gonna practice it I'm gonna say it out loud and you're gonna say it out loud with me all right So I'm going to say a phrase, then you are going to say a phrase. We can do this. I know we're Baptists, but we can do this. But seek the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You did good, but I think we can do better. All right? But seek the welfare of the city. Where I have sent you, Where I sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. On its behalf. For, in its welfare, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You find your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 7. <laughs> okay. we got a couple of insights for us from our passage couple of insights, just, just overarching thoughts as we begin to unpack over these weeks this passage. Here's the first insight or the first point this morning. Once it sets in, once it sets in, the reality of despair is hard to shake off. The reality of despair is hard to shake off. Once you get it, Once it comes on you, it is hard to shake off. There is no way, as I think, about the stories of everybody that I see in this room. I don't think that I've heard a story about any of you. Some of you I don't know. But for the vast majority, I do know somewhat of your story. There's no way for us to understand what's going on in the lives of the recipients of this letter. I gave you all those symptoms, symptoms in your life, the the hardship that, that comes up, maybe those things that trigger despair or depression in your life, multiply at times a thousand, and you find yourselves, and I find myself, here with Israel. They had seen their hope deflate, and now it is gone. Israel thought that they were God's people. They were. But their actions had led him to send them to the Babylonians, where they were conquered, and they took them into captivity. They lost their homes. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs, they lost familiarity, they lost language, they lost culture, they even lost their names. You, you read in the book of Daniel how um, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah they go in. And they are, their names are changed. Every single person's name was changed as they come in front of Nebuchadnezzar. He says to Daniel, your name is no longer Daniel. Your name is Belteshazzar. Do what? Yeah, God is Baal. Think about that if you're a Jewish, devout Jewish male. No, God is God. God is El, Dan, Yale. No, your God is now Baal. They lost their names. They lost their friends. They lost money. They lost health because of a war that brought about this captivity. Even to the point, you you see there in the verse three verses, he says, to the surviving elders, there was a number of them who even lost their lives. And for those that remained alive, they lost their freedom. They lost their freedom. That is so foreign to us. They even started singing a song. The psalmist recorded it this way in Psalm 137. The first four verses of Psalm 137, it states this, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, when, when we remembered Jerusalem, when we remembered Israel, our homeland, on the willows There we hung up our lyres, our our harps, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing? They rebut. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It is so foreign to us. And I get it. So foreign to me. But try to put yourself in that spot. Hernando is gone. Mississippi, gone. Job, gone. Some of you are grateful of that one. But job, gone. Able to do whatever you want to do, the leisure activity you like, the The thing that gets you by in the evenings, in the afternoons, for the next day, looking forward to the weekend, the trip, whatever it is, gone. Family relationships, gone. Freedom, gone. You're cast into a new culture. You have to learn a new language. You have to eat new foods. Obey new customs and laws. Not only were these defeated, they were defeated by the Babylonians, but most of them. They were put on carts, or they were made to walk. They were shipped out to a whole new land and a culture. The high class, they were sent off to school. Education to be able to mingle into the new culture. If you want to read more about that, read the book of Daniel. That's what's going on got a couple of quotes for you. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, stated this about that. Do you see what the goal is? Do you see the strategy of the Babylonians? You assimilate the people group intellectually, socially, culturally, and spiritually so that community loses its ability to have its own distinctive understanding and interpretation of the world. Within a couple of generations, they're gone. They want the jobs. They want the money. They want the power. In order to get it, you have to become culturally and spiritually and intellectually and socially just like the Babylonians. In a couple of generations, they're gone. Let that sink in for a second. You and I have not been carted off to a brand new land. We have stayed in our homes. We have kept the job. We still have the family relationships. Yet I would state for you and me, that is happening every moment and every day as I speak. We are being ushered into culturally, spiritually, intellectually, socially, to be like the Babylonians. To be like this world. And sir, if you do not, take heed. Ma'am, if you do not, open your eyes. Brian, if you do not, in a couple of generations, we're gone. Oh, Brian, I thought we were doing a vision, like happy, let's do, let's move forward. Once despair sets in, it's hard to shake off. The high class folks were ushered into education. The lower classes, read the book of Nehemiah and you'll see the effects of what took place with the lower classes. The wall of Jerusalem is broken, it's shattered, everything is in ruins. And all the low class folks are just trying to make a living outside the city. And all these things are happening. Oh yes, some of the the things are good. Some of those changes are good, but oh, so many of them are so bad. The slaps, literally. The cursing, literally. Yet you don't know the language, so you don't know you're getting cursed. The fist, the sexual assaults, the rape, the murder. It is going on, and it is rampant. And all the while, you and I say, what, what are we to do? They're taken into a new city. One commentator that I read stated it this way. Most postmodern cities are like Babylon. They are cities of man, as Augustine would write in the 300s. He, he brought up, I'll stop the quote for a second, he brought up the difference between the city of God and the city of man, and there are some stark differences. Even in the 300s he saw it, even more in the 2017s. But most postmodern cities are like Babylon. They're cities of man ruled by Satan. And Satan is doing all he possibly can, all in line with his condemnation, to turn them into suburbs of hell. One can see it in the abandoned buildings, the graffiti, the tired faces of the prostitutes, the racial altercations, the slow shuffle of the poor and the great buildings built for human pride. Satan has been very busy. And might I add, we have been very busy too. We are busy in the city. Jobs take us there. Conveniences take us there. Likes and interests take us there. People are flocking to the city. At present time, I believe some 65% of the world's population lives in the city. In the next 20 to 30 years, 80%! Plus percent will live inside the city of the world. You're like, yeah, we're in Mississippi. The city's coming to us. Another loop around Memphis is half a mile that way. Oh, you and I must beware of the city. We must beware of the city. Even as we are in the city, you and I must not be of the city. So what do we do? Warren Wiersbe states it this way. You'll see the quote on the screen, I believe. One of the first steps in turning tragedy into triumph is to accept the situation courageously. Put ourselves into the hands of a loving God who makes no mistakes. All those symptoms that I spoke of that might bring you depression, might trigger depression in you, say, Lord, I see it. I have placed myself financially in trouble. I have placed myself. My health is is not my own. My relationships—they're not my own. I see it, Lord. I fall on my face before you. Please work. Would you do that, or are you too proud? Now, I'll, I'll get up. I'll, I'll tie my own boots. I just got to make it through another day. I just got to make it through another week. I can do it. I, I got, I've got enough strength. Or would we honestly, humbly fall on our faces before him? First insight is that once that despair hits you in the face, it's hard to shake off, and it was hard for them to shake off but the greater insight of this whole passage and every other passage in Scripture is this, that God is at work. He is at work even in the midst of discipline, even in the midst that there is pain and anguish and suffering that you and I caused. He's at work. Do you see that in these verses? Look there in verse number four. Thus says The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. To all the exiles, catch this phrase, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. For us to understand that, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do not answer out loud. Answer silently to yourself. Don't want anything to happen. Not that it would. First question. Do you think God's sovereign? Do you think God's sovereign? Sovereign is a big word for some of us in the room. Sovereign is is not a word that we Americans use very much. We don't have a king or a queen as monarch over us in the government. We don't have a dictator over the government that we live under. We have peaceful, quote-unquote, elections and changes of power every four years. Is God sovereign? Just so you don't have to Google or Wikipedia sovereign means ruler over all things, all people, all things, all creation, time, everything. So is he sovereign? Which leads to a second question. If he's sovereign, he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're doing at this moment, what you're thinking. He knows why you're doing it. He knows the The joy, he knows the hurt, he knows the pain, he knows the anxiety, he knows everything if he's sovereign. If he's not sovereign, he's not God, because God is sovereign. It's been a number of years at a different church that I had a lady come up to me and, and she wanted some counseling and uh, we sat and talked once and in that time of talking, she uh, made it very clear that she wanted to leave her husband. She wanted to divorce her husband and it was very evident by her appearance and the words that in that home where she lived, there was physical, verbal, and emotional abuse. And as I spoke with this woman, I told her, I believe that you need to get out of the house, but I will not counsel you to divorce your husband. She didn't understand, and so we talked some more, and I told her my reasons why, and you're like, why in the world are you telling us this story when in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14, and all of Jeremiah chapter 29, it has nothing to do with marriage, but it does, because in this moment where Israel, God's people, his bride, and God have come Together in a covenant, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. We've studied that. We saw that back in the fall. Genesis chapter 12. God says, Hey, Abraham, I'm going to call you out of this terrible place, this terrible people, and I will make you my people. He's like, I don't even have a descendant. One of my servants is going to be. Nope. You look at the stars, chapter 15. You go out and you look again in chapter 17. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Just so you're clear with this, we're going to make a covenant. I'm going to walk through, and he did in Genesis chapter 17. He walked through the carcasses as they were there, and God showed up and walked through these carcasses and made a covenant. Israel and God. If there was ever a time that God could have turned his back on Israel, it's Jeremiah chapter 29. I don't know about you. Here's the plug for 2018 reading. Right now in 2017 I am finishing up a a section of reading from 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles that all it is is one king after another, one year after another, one decade after another that this king and all of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He followed in his father's footstep the father of Ahab. How terrible. One after another, after another, after another. And now this king, God, if there was ever a time for him to stop working, if there was ever a time for him to just discard his people, it is here. And what do you and I see? He is working even in the midst of discipline. He is working. And even in the midst of your situation at the end of 2017, your loss, your hurt, your pain, your struggle, your strife, your mess, he's working. Was the year 597 and 586 B.C. were they rough? Yes. What did Israel want? They wanted out. I just wanted it over. What did God want? He wanted them. The year 2017 is almost over. A few more hours. The year 2018 is is about to begin. And I don't know what the future holds for you or for me. But I know this. No matter if there are struggles or strife, loss, emptiness, despair, depression, even the loss of freedom in 2018 for us, God still wants the same thing from you. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your life every moment of every day. He wants you, sir. Not on Sundays. Not on Tuesdays. He wants you, period. Ma'am, he wants you. He wants me. That's what he wants. That's what he calls for. And for 70 years, these men and women, boys and girls, find themselves in a city that is foreign, in a culture that is foreign. And he says, hey, pray for the welfare of this city because that's where you're going to be. That's where you're going to live. That's where you're going to die. And I will come back in 70 years. But you, if you want welfare, pray for the city. Plant some gardens. Get close. Give your kids off for marriage and get kids back in marriage. But you and I pray for the welfare of this city. For in it, you will find your welfare. He's at work in the midst of discipline. But a final thought. Not only is he at work in... The discipline, but if you were to read again verse number eleven, he says this to River Ben. And as a son or a daughter of the king, he says this to you. Sir, I have plans for you. Ma'am, I know what those plans are. I might not have told you as of yet, but I know what those plans are for you. And they're plans to prosper you. They're plans to, to draw you close to me. They're plans to make you like me, sir. They're good plans. Will you hear those plans? Will you hear him? He is speaking. Will you open your eyes, River Bend? He's at work all around you, everywhere that you go, every single day, every place that I go. He is at work. Will we see Him and will we, as we have studied all of last semester in Connect, will we, like Blackaby States, accept the invitation of Him calling us into His work? I pray that we will. I pray that you will, I pray that I will, and I pray that it starts right now. Heavenly Father, God, I know I say those words almost every time that I start my prayers to you, but those are words that are not flippant. God, I am so thankful that you are my Father. I am so thankful. That you know me and that you love me despite of every thought that goes through my mind. Despite of words that come out of my mouth and actions that I have done and I, or that I will not do that you have commanded me to do. You love me. God, you love us and you desire for us to come alongside the work that you're doing. Father, would we do that today? Lord, I know that in this room, there is much despair. There are many situations that have happened that are happening at this moment that are about to happen in the coming days that we don't even know about that will bring about symptoms and triggers to to try to bring depression, to try to bring a front barricade an obstacle between us and you. Father, I pray that you would show each and every one of us that you are good. God, that you love us and you are walking with us through every situation that comes about. Lord, may we bring you glory every step of the way. Sir, we're about to stand and sing. Ma'am, we're going to sing. It's an opportunity for you to respond. Maybe that response is right where you are. Maybe that response is down front. Maybe that response is you coming and talking to me. If you don't know about Jesus, let me share who he is with you. Do not leave this place not knowing him because he loves you so much that he died for you. Three days later, he rose from the dead to save you, Eternally. So you respond. Chris?